Hello folks, welcome again down the security rabbit hole. This is Raf. I have a very, very special guest for you today, uh, live from HTCIA Conference 2015 here in Orlando, uh, Mr. Howard Schmidt. Howard, how are you? Hey, great. Great to be here. I haven't seen you in a while, <laughs> uh, although we go back quite a bit. That's, that's true. And as a matter of fact, we were trying to figure out the other day, my number, my HTCIA membership number was like in the 60s or 70s. Wow. And trying to figure out when that was and yet what the number was. So you, you're, you, you, I, uh, I, the book I have that, was, that you signed for me way, way back in, I want to say, 2005, 2006, which is Patrolling right. Cyberspace. Um, so what have you been doing with yourself lately? And uh, gosh, let's, let's just talk about a little bit what you're here to do and uh, just give me anything because this is going to be just a fun conversation, no agenda. Well, lucky. Uh, I was, after we had talked, I went to the White House, back to the White House. Back I guess. to the White House. Back to the White House, and a uh, little bit different genre because there I was not only the cyber czar, as they call it, but also uh, tied into the National Economic Council. So actually, we, I had a lot of fun. It was the first environment that I've been in that I was paid to be schizophrenic <laughs> because on the national security side, it's like, lock it down, lock it down, follow them. And the economic piece was, hey, don't do this. you got to worry about the business. You know, that's kind of funny because that's, that's the exact issue CISOs face today yep. uh, out in the real, in, in what we call the real world. Yep. Um, it's, you know, it, we'd love to lock everything down and make it unusable so that's nice and secure. But then the business goes, yeah, then we don't get paychecks because we don't exist anymore. Um, seeing that striking that balance is tough. It is, and and you've got to have the leadership, the, the board of directors, and there's been a lot of talking about that, that that we need board of director members that have the background of security as well as the business, and so be able to go forth and say, wait a minute, yeah, it's great you're shipping ten thousand or something, but when you lose in the equivalent of twenty thousand dollars worth of the product, you know what good does it do you? So it's a big discussion now. So it, 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 given your experience and your visibility, are you seeing uh, – there's a survey that's out, uh, the, you know, 2015 cyber something survey that says uh, only about 30% of security execs have regular board level of engagement. So that kind of leads us to leads me to believe that us security people saying, yeah, security is a boardroom topic may not be as accurate as we'd like to believe. Well, it depends on the company. Okay, what, you see, what you see is, is the forward-looking companies, either that or they've been already victim, victimized. <laughs> and suddenly it is a boardroom topic. It is a boardroom topic, absolutely. You get fired over that. But 
we're slowly but surely, as we we have with the CISOs and everything else, the progression is more towards this is a regular business thing. This isn't an IT issue. This is a business issue, and we have to treat it as such. We have to have people not only understand it, the technology, but also people to understand the business. So they're slowly but surely coming, and I'm I'm happy that the 30% is there. Yeah, I, I am too. Uh, I think there's a maturity that's happening, and it's sort of being forced by the colossal failures we've seen lately, uh, both in, in the FedGov space, uh, regional, uh, retail, uh, healthcare. I mean, this is everywhere. And, and I, I keep hearing people talk about, well, what the hell can you trust if, if everybody's getting popped and hacked? And you know, the, 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 I hate to bring this up, but the, real, the biggest example, especially since we're at a... a place where there's a lot of federal and law enforcement folks is the OPM hack. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the word unconscionable was used a couple of times yesterday in conversations, <laughs> and and there's people that are genuinely afraid for their own safety and their families, given how much you have to provide. All this data was centralized, and there was some interesting discussion when this first came to light that, I believe Dan Gear said it, that was, it's not so much that the event happened. It's that all this information was centralized and neatly packaged and stored in one place. And he asked a very simple question, why? Well, absolutely. And that's the thing many of us have, have been asking for 20 plus years. You know, the idea of collapsing and coordinating and everything being connected has its failures, as we've seen here. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting through this is, and I'll give you an example. I'm in that probably database at least a half dozen times. <laughs> my military retirement, my two government, everybody in my family and extended family is now in there. Yeah, because you've been vetted and they talk to your family and friends and that's people. That's correct, yeah. yeah. So all these people are in there. Some of them are already in there because of their government job. But now we don't even have a solution how to sort of unwind it and pull it back. And that's the biggest problem. We don't need to see any re- response next year or five years from now. This stuff is going to outlive all of us. Well, that's and that's the scary thing. And I had uh, that is echoed from the halls of uh, the pharmaceutical and biomed companies that I've had conversations with because from an eye-opening, it's sort of an eye-opening thing when, you know, like when credit cards get breached, we're like, oh, that's horrible. And then you realize, yeah, but they're pretty much disposable. So the the, the cost is, I hate saying this, but almost nominal to most of us, right? That's correct. It falls within the reason, some companies it falls within their reasonable risk tolerances and we call it done. Um, But a, a biomed research company that loses a drug the formula for or, or the research for a drug they're almost ready to bring to market after years of clinical trials, millions or maybe with a B, billions of research, and the potential for you know twenty five plus years of revenue from that vaporizes. Right. He's like that actually can end companies. Well, that's why it's making such a difference in the boardroom now because it used to be once again saying it, saying it again. It used to be an IT issue. Yeah, it's just you know push it over the the transom and the CIO will fix it. Well, they're starting to realize that's not the way it is. So all the things that we were doing in the beginning, 20, 25 years ago, were being built to, oh, we have to submit what we're going to do to help them. If they reject it, so be it. And now we're not saying that anymore. What we're saying is, if you don't do what it is, the CEO, the uh, VP of operations, somebody's going to take notice and bring it to the board, and things are changing. Well, and that that is interesting because... uh, 
for, and I actually still believe that this is largely true, that security is essentially sort of like the legal department, right? We do an analysis, we provide our analysis, but it's ultimately up to the company executives to make that decision to follow that or not. Uh, are you see- So you're saying you're seeing that shift a little bit more from a, here's our opinion, you should do this, to a, you need to go do this. And, and that's what I'm seeing. The, some of the best companies out there are going, okay, enough is enough. We have a committee, a, a group that sits, gets together with the CIO, the, the chief risk officer, the physical security, the board of directors. We have some cases, uh, three, uh, three, two or three board members attend every one of our meetings once a month. And we, we run exercises and all these other things. So they don't take it lightly because they need to do it to, to make revenue. Are you seeing this shift away from a boardroom stance of we can't get breached, we can't get breached, this can't happen here, make sure you prevent it? Because we've all started, I mean, if you've picked up a newspaper, you're starting to realize that prevention only can go so far, right? Right. Are you seeing that shift into, okay, when something bad happens, are you seeing that? Yeah, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, we just did an exercise with one of our, our clients last week where and they didn't want me there because they want to simulate a real attack where they may have to call me and fly in or something like that. Interesting. But it was really it was really interesting. And the thing is, they had all the players in place, all the content uh, set to go, and including PR, including legal, and calling uh, the law enforcement side, everything else to identify and react to it. Now, interestingly enough, while they do that. They want to improve the infrastructure to where they don't have to call this thing live. And that's where you get into some of the technology issues. Well, why are we still having people fall a victim of, of a phishing email? Because they, we Human yeah, nature, That right? is absolutely correct. You can't unwind, it's like we can't unwind that. Why does somebody... Uh, why does an employee that's taught not to let somebody tailgate them through a badge-only access door hold the door open for an employee or that somebody that looks like they could be an employee with two hands full of you know boxes or things that they're trying to carry through? Because we're as humans, we're programmed, most of us anyway, we're programmed to be helpful. We're programmed to be nice. We're programmed that's to... to and so it's like, like security, some days I feel like we're trying to unwind human nature. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. You see all these companies and states and stuff that do the old uh, anti-phishing email. They send it out, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. They send a notice out, a fake phishing email, and 60% of people still click on it. So that, that proves to us that you don't put those people in the position because it's never going to change. You make sure that you you're have uh, signed email, you have uh, encryption in use, you have different things that's different from what we're used to doing business in. So, from a switching gears just slightly, because I want to talk about a little bit about maybe your insights into our, the way our federal government works. I know a lot of us in the security community right now are particularly frustrated with um, uh, our Congress, let's just say, and our administration and the ability to pass some kind of comprehensive data breach laws. We've seen the cries for it. We've seen people, you know, saying it needs to be done, and we're going to get this done this session, this session, and nothing happens. Is there a hope for somebody having some common sense? Or what's killing this and why? Political. 
Of course, it's, politics. It's totally politics involved in this thing. We submitted, on behalf of the president, a comprehensive, no junk, this is what really, really we need, not fluff stuff. We submitted it to the Congress, and automatically a fight was on between one party versus the other. Simple things, like you, you want organized crime to be covered under cybercrime. It's not. You want issues where you have people attacking uh, critical infrastructure to, to have things take place. So bottom line is, you wind up in a situation where it's difficult. That's interesting. And it seems like politics undoes so many common sense issues today that we really need the government to step in on and do. I mean, it's like you've got a patchwork of states that, you know, some states you have to notify, some states you don't. Sometimes you, some states you have, there's a requirement, like, do you have to be this this bad to have to report? Some allow self-reporting. There's financials or incentives. You know, there's, that's, we're not going to get any better, especially with a forcing function, until that's unraveled. And well, it's frustrating. You know, there's 47 different state laws. Yeah. And what we asked for, and I realized that states' rights are sensitivity, oh, but the bottom line, when it comes down to something that's for the benefit of everybody, I can see federal preemption coming in. We've been talking about this since I was at the White House the first time in 2002, 2003. But it keeps pushing, getting pushed back, or not a big a deal. And so hopefully this time, it probably wouldn't be until after the uh, break at the end of the year, because Congress is not going to do anything that they think upsets somebody. Uh, and then next year, we're going to be in the middle of the uh, uh, election. So it may be two years before we get anything of oh, substance. That is absolutely frustrating. And it's just like, why can't we just get this yeah. done? And it, it, it's like that with everything, though. I mean, we looked at, personally, I looked at the OPM hack, right, the big breach that happened, the outrage that happened there, and what did we do? We removed the person that was responsible for the agency. Whether she had any control over that situation or not seemed completely immaterial. Um, and, and we called it, okay, solved, let's move on. It's like, that's wait right. a second, time out. That's, that didn't solve the problem. It's like firing the CEO when the company gets breached. You're like, that made no sense. That's right. When does common sense prevail here? I mean, it doesn't. It, you know, this is, this, I'm serious because what happens here, we have a lot of people in that environment that don't understand security, don't understand technology. Uh, we wind up in a situation where we put people in positions that say, you're going to fix this. And they don't even know how, what it is it's all about. Yeah. And so as a consequence, you don't really make progress. And plus the other thing, and people often forget, the executive branch or the White House, all they do is policy. Yeah. The execution of stuff is done in the others of it. Yeah. So, so that's where people get like DHS or uh, DOD are assigned, you need to fix this and come back and report to us because the policy is we're not going to let foo happen. Yeah. Uh, but they don't do it. They're, they're too fighting about, oh, gee, I want this to be my job and I want this job to be, and so it never makes sense. So that's the so okay. That brings me to another interesting issue we've talked about at least twice the last two days, and that is um, we talked about threat intelligence on a panel that I hosted um, and the use of it, right? And and there were snarky comments. I'm kind of glad I didn't record it because uh, some people would have not been happy with that. But there were snarky comments made about you know how do we uh, how do we make cyber threat sharing a priority? 
that can be done on a national scale. And somebody said, well, don't use the InfraGuard pattern because that's a one-way thing. And I get that. And I get the frustration there. There's a lot of frustration there. U.S. CERT was supposed to be the clearinghouse. Never happened. Yeah. DHS was supposed to do something. Mm, I don't know. Is that happening? Who knows? What's the right answer there, Howard? It's, it's individual companies that are going to have to take control. Now, a couple mm. qualifiers, like some of the uh, InfraGuard thing. Some, some do a better job of sharing than others do. Yeah. Uh, all these things are almost based on personalities more so than structure. And that's what we need to fix. So if we can't depend on the government can do it, that means we have to, and the government's got their own problems to begin with. Indeed. Uh, and so we have to, in private sector, say, okay, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, here's what we're doing, and, and put these things together where they're irreversible. You see, one of the problems you get is... is Governments are involved in spying and all that other stuff, and if you accidentally discover it, they want to shut you down. So there's this yeah. sort of this conundrum you're dealing with. So um, as long as we're on this thread and, and conundrum, so there's a, there was several articles written about court cases where the FTC is involved, and they've gone after companies for right. negligence, what they would consider negli- you know, uh, failure to do what's necessary and proper, I think is the language there. Right. Um, to protect data, public data, you know, uh, the public's data, rather. Um, how do you feel about that? Because I, I, I would I would almost, like, there's days where that scares the hell out of me, but there's days where I, I look at that and go, you know what, damn it, I, I really hope the FTC does just start to, like, levy power and just crush financially some companies or prevent them from doing interstate commerce as a result of just being, com- like, seriously, if you can prove that they are actually willfully negligent, they shouldn't be allowed to operate. Yeah. Like the capitalist in me goes, eh, but the person, like the person who, as the victim, sometimes I go, all right, you know what? Maybe there's a balance there. Well, it's interesting because you have a number of, re- of regulatory bodies: SEC, FTC, uh, FA, FAA. I mean, everybody's got their own uh, piece of security that they're worried about, and they're independent agencies. Yeah. So they can set their line or, or fix the line. What they need to do, and what the executive branch needs to do, is is figure out a way to make all of this work together. It was interesting when I was at the White House last time. I had to have a lawyer in the room to talk to. Uh, FCC, or excuse me, FTC, because they're not allowed to talk to the White House because they're an independent <laughs> body. And we had recommendations, and we could state factually, but we couldn't ask ask any questions, and we couldn't answer any questions. You know, some of that makes me nuts because. <laughs> How do you think I am? Yeah, right. I was gonna say you dealing, having to deal with that, especially with. Some of the policy things that you've discussed, and it makes so much sense, and I, I just sort of see them like enter that politics bubble and just sort of <laughs> dissipate and evaporate. You're like, wow, you know, it's like uh, you know, government or good ideas go to die almost some days. You know, it's like, why? I don't. I get it. There's there's people that oppose each other, and you know, we're never going to get rid of the politics game, but. On a policy basis, you know, and I'll talk about the, the time I was there recently. So we did the Na- National Infrastructure, or NICE, uh, National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. Yeah. Went well. Uh, the NSTIC, National uh, Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace, launched it well. We had another presidential appointee. We had uh, Gary Locke, who was the former uh, Secretary of Commerce. And we go out with this thing and say, here's what we want private private sector to do, and we're going to fund part of it. And it all just sort of dries off in the, in the, in the distance. 
How do you feel about that? Because uh, there's a there, there's a very big need for anonymity and privacy, but they seem to be they're definitely not the same thing, right? Because there's privacy is necessary, um, anonymity is sometimes necessary, and I know they're not necessarily the same thing, but. Anonymity on the internet is basically dead. Uh, if because you can be tracked almost, heck, almost anywhere, anytime, as, as it's been proven. So where is that balance? I mean, is there any room for anonymity on tomorrow's internet? There, there is. Uh, and that was one of the things we specifically put in the end stack, where you could be totally anonymous, and but you can't use that anonymity to buy a car, for example. Okay. So there's different tiers as you go through. Uh, and it's very, very successful, and particularly in, in those nations where they're under tremendous pressure, they get, get killed yeah. if they're communicating and stuff like that. That's what we want to preserve it for. Plus, those that just one of well, those of us that just want to be uh, maintain our privacy and our anonymity. But we have to have different tiers, and we're not there. So, uh, I, I, be mindful of your time. Where do we go from here? Because it, it's we're, we're mostly through, you know, have a little bit over halfway through 2015. Uh, the breaches keep piling up. We've moved into from credit cards to financials. We're now into health, well into healthcare records of every every man, woman, and child within the borders of the United States. Um, th- th- this 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 isn't getting better. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. I think we've actually hit a point where we're, our, our, the the public is becoming slightly apathetic, which terrifies me more than the right, breaches right. themselves. What's what do we do? What's next? I mean, what's what's your vision here? Well, it's interesting because I, I think every one of those intrusions that we see taking place, I'm thinking the criminals that are doing that or the nation states are doing it are really stupid. Because what happened is they do it, we ratchet up some more, we keep ratcheting up, which means it's going to really lock down the internet, and we're going to start regulating the internet that none of us want to see. Yeah, nobody place, wants that, including the bad guys. So, number one, when it comes to nation stations, we just have to. I don't care what other policy, what other arguments you're having, whether they're reevaluating their currency seat, you got to sit down and say, this is the way we're going to do it. At the same token, have the companies get together that want to operate overseas, whether they want to operate in the United States or we want to operate overseas, to sit there and say, okay, as businesses, we don't want the, co- the government interfering with us or we all lose. The other things are from a tech- technology perspective. Uh, things such as um, strong authentication, encryption, uh, str- uh, other things that can basically be easy enough to use. We have to really concentrate on doing those things, and we'll go a lot farther in a shorter period of time. All right, Howard, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? I think you're on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah, Howard AS. Howard AS, awesome. Thanks for being on the show. My- my pleasure. It's, it's been a blast. I hope to run into you uh, more often than the next in the two years from now, but I'm sure we'll see each other again. Um, folks, thanks for listening to another episode of Down to Speed Rabbit Hole podcast. This has been Raph sitting here with Mr. Howard Schmidt, uh, one of the uh, the deep voices of cybersecurity <laughs> from uh, government to private sector and everywhere in between. So thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, hashtag DTSR and rolling. Howard in our conversation going forward. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag pound DTSR. 
please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Our website is whiterabbit.net, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T dot net. So on behalf of Rafal, James, Michael, and our guests, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.